I'm John Wilson. Welcome to Owned and Operated. Twice a week, we talk about home service businesses. And if you're a home service entrepreneur, then this is going to be the show for you. We talk about our own business in residential plumbing, HVAC, and electric. And we also talk about business models that we just find interesting. Let's get into it. This episode is sponsored by Home Service Engine. So this is a company that I would highly recommend if you are thinking about getting onto Service Titan, or if you're like me and you have to rebuild your Service Titan every few months because you set it up incorrectly. So this is my go-to team for any Service Titan needs, and I really wish I had them from the start. Give them a call today and start utilizing Service Titan to its fullest potential. Today on the show, we have Alec Stevanoski on with the Home Pros HVAC newsletter. We just got introduced to Alec a couple weeks ago because we've been reading the newsletter and it's kind of interesting. So it's news specifically in HVAC, but obviously, you know, Jack and I were attempting to run a small industry focused media little business here. And we thought that what he was doing was really cool. So we brought him on to deep dive into B2B hyper niche news, how to grow it, what that looks like, how he thinks this runs at, at scale. It was an awesome conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. Today, I have Alex Devanoski on with us from Home Pros, which is an HVAC business-focused newsletter. Welcome out to the show. Hi, John. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're pumped to have you here. This is going to be interesting for Jack and I because, one, it's obviously a little outside of like building a service business, but it's a totally new business that we've never covered this type of business before. And the focus of your thing is on HVAC, which obviously is what we talk about every day here. We're pumped to dive in. So before we get too deep, I'd love a quick background on how you ended up running an HVAC-focused newsletter. First of all, so thanks to both of you guys for having me on. I follow you guys online and have been for a little bit, so definitely appreciate it. We're famous on the internet, Jack. Finally. And for good reason. Yeah, the worst. I mean, I'll give you kind of a little personal rundown, and I'll just segue it into what I'm doing. So, I was born in Michigan, came down. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now, and so I've been here for this August. It'll be 16 years, and I went to school around here. Went to UNC Charlotte. My interests actually have always lied in technology, and startup companies, and like venture capital and that that whole world. So, when I got out of college, I ended up at a company, a startup company that was in Charlotte called Pazer. And Pazer was basically a software company. Just to give a simple analogy, we directly competed with Service Titan and those players in that space. And so we had a whole software system that helped contractors do everything from schedule appointments, invoice, click, click payments, et cetera. So I spent three years there and two out of those three years, I was directly on the sales side. So I would sell to contractors. I would talk to them all day long, listen to what they complain about, think about, care about. And about a year and a half in to me being there is I started getting fascinated with the industries themselves. So most of our customers at Pazer were HVAC and plumbing and they started studying them, trying to understand what are these things that contractors I'm talking to every day are experiencing? What does all this mean? So I went down a pretty deep rabbit hole of trying to understand all of that. And I basically got curious and said, who supports all of this from a media standpoint? So who's covering it? What publications exist? Who's writing about it? Who's kind of served? Who's giving this information like to contractors? And basically found that there were a handful, at least in HVAC and plumbing, really just a handful of legacy magazine publishers that exists and they've been around for 50 years, 80 years plus. And so I thought that was interesting. Looked into them a little bit, tried to understand what they do, what I thought they didn't do well, how do they work? And that led me to a second rabbit hole, which was 
digital media and B2B news publishers and who they are and like how they work, how they make money, how they grow. And so long story short, this probably all happened over a nine months period of me just in my free time doing research. I basically came to the conclusion that I thought at least there was an opportunity to build the next generation, like a digital news platform for all of the home service industries, ultimately HVAC and plumbing too, being two of the biggest ones, but really like the dynamics that apply in HVAC or the dynamics that exist in HVAC apply to roofing and pest control and landscaping, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So I started, I basically thought there was an opportunity and I gave Hayes, I'm trying to think, I was really close, still am with our, who's our COO there. I joke, I, I joke with people, I consider it the greatest sort of tip that I'm leaving. So I gave him a three months notice that I was going to leave and ended up leaving this past July or July, August timeframe to start what I'm doing now. Really what the plan was, I'm going to leave and I'm going to give it 12 months. I'm going to pick one vertical to start HVAC because I knew it the most and, or I knew it the best and I knew the most people. So I said, I'm going to publish once a week. I'm going to do it just digital. I'm not going to print magazines or newspapers. I'm going to do it through email because I thought that news consumption was, well, it is going, continuing to go digital, but that email is a good format. So I'm going to publish once a week. I'm going to pick just the HVAC. I'm going to go try to build an audience, build a model, develop a playbook and kind of see if there's a business there. And so that's what I've been doing for give or take five months. I know that was a long rant. It helps to give some content. I thought it was good. No, that's awesome. So when you left Pazer seven months ago. Correct. Okay. I think of Pazer as a legacy software in the industry, like they've been around for a while. How are they faring against Service Titan? It feels like Service Titan is just like beating. Yeah. Is that actually how it's going from the industry? Yes. Yeah, so, well, so a couple of things. So technically Service Titan have been around, they had started, and I could butcher this a little bit, but from what I remember is 2009, maybe-ish, give or take a year. Pazer was actually 2012, 2013. Oh, interesting. But the thing that Pazer started as just a credit card process product, whereas Service Titan started with, I'm just going to build software, like we're going to do software. So I wouldn't say it's legacy in that sense because they came out, they were all cloud-based. It wasn't physical server-based, like some of the really legacy ones. Yeah. But to your point, how are they faring? They're doing well. I think they target a different market. So Service Titan, like contractors, you guys, what you guys are doing, John, for example, where you have 100 plus employees, you have different business lines. Service Titan is that's their market. Like they go after what we at Pazer consider really big contractors. Pazer's sweet spot was a little bit down market. It might've changed a little bit over the past seven months. The strategy was always to work up. Yeah, I definitely think Service Titan has carved out a really strong position with like larger contractors, but it was almost like we're going after two different segments. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I guess the hope is that you get in while they're smaller and then you just like run with them until they're bigger. Pretty much, yeah. And a thing too that might be interesting to you is there's actually financial benefit in that too, because we would make money on credit card processing. They're processing more payments. They're growing revenues. Yeah, that makes total sense. I don't think people think about this, but that is a component of a like a CRM relationship. If they have captive processing fees, like that's a part of your relationship. So we try to rebid our fees once a year with Service Titan, but we missed once for like two and a half years, I think with just COVID and it just missed, I don't even know. But in that same time period, we went from processing a hundred grand a month to like 1.2 million a month and like big difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Note to anyone listening, if you run credit cards through your software, it's a part of the relationship. So continue to renegotiate. Right. Okay. All right. So you left Pazer and you're like, hey, I'm going to launch a small media company with aspirations to not be a small media company, but you're going to solo launch a media totally. company. Yeah, that is interesting. Obviously, like we run a media company, right? We're on the media company that we run. 
but it was launched on the back of like, I had a larger, not a midsize, I don't know, Twitter following. How do you just launch something? I, I've never really understood how people just launch it without some type of platform already. So can you walk me through like the first week? Yeah, I can take this in a million directions. I think your question is like various, like tactically speaking, what do the first five days look like in terms of launching the media product itself? That and like, how do you get your first hundred subs? Because for me, like when we launched our newsletter, our first hundred subs, it's just a different game. Like for us, it was like a tweet or something like that. Right. Yeah. So a couple of things. I think the first thing that, or one of the reasons I wanted to start with HVAC because I knew people. So I had a handful, I had probably tens of contractors in my phones, like personal contacts that I had become friends with, or they were like a customer that I signed up. So one of the first things I did was I literally just went on my contacts and I would filter out because I tried to be smart a year ago when I started thinking about this and I started tagging all my new contacts with HVAC so I could go in and search. So what I basically what I do is I just pulled up everybody in my contact else or contacts that was a contractor and I just texted them or I called them and said, look, here's what I'm doing. I'd love to get your interest in subscribing to it. I'm not going to start it yet. Basically an email you get every Tuesday morning. And most people said, yeah. So I think from that, I started with, I think it was like 45-ish people. That's the answer for the first 45. I knew that there was an advantage to pretty much like to, to your point, having a social audience. And so I knew that there would be some benefit in taking what is included in the newsletter and then repurposing it for LinkedIn or Facebook, for example. I didn't pick Twitter. I really picked LinkedIn and Facebook. So I just have the Facebook there to stay updated. So I started a LinkedIn page and I would maniacally, I still do this. I'm still very much in the weeds of doing this, but like I would, I max out my connection requests every single week. They give me 200. So I go in and I search for heating, for example, and I can filter by title. So I put anybody that is associated with heating in their like title but then also like either manager, president or owner. And it just literally gives me 20,000 results. And I would just go one by one, connect, send a connection request to 200. It would max it out. And then I would wait two or three days. And by the way, again, I'm still doing this. So I'd wait a few days. Whoever responds to me or whoever accepts it, I would just shoot them a DM. Just say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I know it's your business. I do this thing if you're interested. Like most people don't respond or they look at it like, cool. But a handful of them do it. So that is like another incremental thing that, I, that I'm continuing to do. Then the, the third, I'd say, just going from like zero to a hundred is just referral people forward. So like making sure that the actual substance is good enough to where people want to share it. And so I think a combination of doing those three things was kind of like we want, you know, first month, first two months. Yeah. Like highly personal connection to newsletter. Yep. Yeah. And so with that, the most important thing with a media company and one of the hardest things, in my opinion, I've tried this multiple times in multiple different ways is going from the audience to monetization. Sure. What does that path look like for you? A couple of things. So I'm one, I'm still figuring it out. I mean, I'm still working on it. Again, it's extremely yeah. early. So part of the 12 month investment that I wanted to make at the beginning was to develop a playbook and monetization is a big part of that playbook to it, to be that I'm developing, but also still to be developed. But really like in simple terms, it's, as the subscriber base grows, you of course get more leverage from an advertising standpoint. So the basic business models, if you have a lot of executives and decision makers, which is who I'm going after, not necessarily technicians or it's really people up the chain, people like, like you guys that are worth the advertisers sort of dollars and attend. And so it's advertising, but as the subscriber base grows, you're willing to charge certain rates based on how many subscribers or basically also who those people are. And so 
one thing that is that I like about B2B media is that you don't have to have a million readers. If I wanted to launch like a consumer media company where I was like trying to compete with, I don't know, like, like uh, Axios or maybe you could argue they're B2B, just like any consumer, like general news media, the rates are much lower and you need a higher volume. So the thing about B2B that makes it special is like you could go out and get 50,000 HVAC like owners and operations managers and service managers and charge literally five times more per certain unit that you can sell these on. And so that's the beauty of it. But the simple answer is like, the path is grow the subscriber base and start developing a network or a network of partners who are companies in the space that specifically want to target contractors and then go sell them placements in the newsletter. That's kind of like B1. Again, the revenue model can kind of expand that we can get into that. Like the basics is, is that. Okay. What do you think the minimum subscriber count is to start churning on that? I think it depends. I don't know that there's a, a solid answer. There's one answer where it's like, this is the number and nobody's going to pay you a dollar unless you're above that. To start making some meaningful money, like in this case, like in HVAC, if I were to have 10,000 email subs, I can make meaningful money just have, because of how valuable each of those people are. But again, like on top of that, like I remember I had a conversation, there's a guy here in Charlotte who he built a successful local media business. And so I've got to know him well. He helps advise me on some things. I, I remember I was having a conversation with him and just, Hey, what should I do? I don't really know what to do. My hands got kind of thing. And he's like, dude, you should go out and start talking to some of these partners before you have a single subscriber and just launch with one or just go do it anyway. Even if you have a hundred people, it doesn't matter because if you can build a relationship with them, like early on as the audience grows, the relationship could grow the doubt, you know? So my current stance is a mix of both of those things. So I'm actually doing that now where I'm trying to go out and work with a handful of partners. Yeah, we did that. This is like two and a half years ago now, but like we were starting to launch the podcast early 2021 or mid 2021. And I was like, yeah, we should just try to launch with a sponsor already. I think we did, but it was, you know, obviously the audience was not zero. <laughs> podcast is like different too, where it's just a weird medium. It's hard to grow, but it's really dense. If someone listens, they tend to listen because they have to like me and they have to like right. Jack, which is complicated <laughs> versus like reading something. And I don't know that I'm that likable, but yeah. Okay. You leave Pazer, you launch it. Do you think eventually Pazer could be a partner? Yes. The companies who are going to be advertisers are techno are or companies. So the Pazers of the world and service type of the world, et cetera, equipment companies, suppliers, training, development, coaching organizations. There are general small business slash like financial services companies. So that think Amex is even in the Carhartt and tool companies. There's a pretty diverse set of potential advertisers, even in home search. I'm thinking through all of the different people that sponsor like the legacy magazines that you referenced. Yeah, it's in the plumbing one. It's like Spartan for the drain machines, or I'm sure Service Titan is in there. I'm sure Pazer's in there. Who tends to pay the highest? Do you have like a hit on that yet? Is it the tech companies? Like who has the highest value? That, that's actually a good question. So I don't have an answer. I don't know. But like what I do know a little bit about though, is that it's the conversations with huge manufacturers, for example, like the carriers, Lennox and strands of the world, they just have so much more money compared to even these software companies that like, that's something that I'm thinking about. Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't even thought of them as like a potential partner. Yeah, they'd be a great partner too. One, huge budgets, but also two, they're all fighting to grab owners. That's their key is they can grab owners, they lock those in and they're selling a million, two million in units a year. If you like what we talk about on our social media, on Twitter, on this podcast, then you should be signed up for our newsletter. 
Go to ownedandoperated.com where every Friday we break down our business, we break down insights, things we're learning, things we're working on, and it's good stuff. Check it out, ownedandoperated.com. So monetization. All right. So you've been doing this for the past six, seven months. I asked about the first week or two. What's it been like after that? Like, how's the snowball been? How are you getting new content? Because mm -hmm. it's good. I've been reading it. It's a cool yeah. newsletter. No, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, a couple of things. It's overall, it's going well. I'm extremely impatient, so I always want to go way faster and bigger. Mm -hmm. But I have learned that it's much more long-term valuable to really nail the product before you try to like super scale it. <laughs> because just having a really concrete idea of, for example, people like you, like, like guys like yourself, when it comes to HVAC, what do you really care about? What do you want to learn about? What are the knowledge gaps or what information is critical and really important to you guys that you're either not getting or you're getting and it kind of could be better. And so just like really improving the product right now is a huge focus. So that's something that I do a lot. But of course, the more subscribers you have, the more data you get. So it kind of is, goes hand in hand. So I've been doing that. And then I think you asked, like, how do you get the news? So that's actually pretty interesting. So I would argue, so like, for example, with your newsletter, a lot of that is like your experience and your knowledge from building a service business. And so you have to kind of net new, I don't want to say new, but like these ideas come from you just fresh off, off of your experience and what you've done. The difference between that and the news is that the news happens. So something happens. I didn't create that necessarily. Like I didn't make it up. At Secret buying ally financials like lending are. Like that's a thing that happened. And so really the way in which to answer the question, it's like more, how do you stay on top of that stuff? And then how do you make sure that you're finding that and that you don't miss any of those things? And so I use, it's a cheap software system. I basically pay 10 bucks a month and I plug in all these different sources and a source could be literally anything. It could be your blog. It could be the newsroom at Lennox. So anytime Lennox makes an announcement, it could be legacy magazine companies. Every time they post an article, it could be a Twitter account or whatever. So I have this thing. I basically have 60 sources, give or take plugged into it and it displays everything on one feed. And so literally throughout the day, I just watch it like a maniac of just everything that's happening. And I tag different things and I'm like, okay, I want to cover this or that's interesting. And then throughout the week, because I'm publishing once a week right now, what I do is I, again, I tag everything. And at the end of the week, like, I literally have, I don't know, I probably have a list of 30 things or 30 stories that I go back and I chop them up and I pick two main ones. I pick seven things that I want to put in the bottom section of related news, three that go here. Just, that's how I'm getting everything. That's how I'm finding the stories. Yeah. And then are you writing them personally right now? Or like, how do you handle the journalism side? Yeah, so I am. So I'm doing the writing. I, I do most of the editing. I actually have my cousin. Help me with some editing, but yeah, yeah but I am, I'm writing, editing. I really like writing. I, I do it personally anyway, and I have for, for a number of years. I don't know. It's just one of my favorite hobbies or things to do. It's a good outlet for me. It's hard, but it's not like something that I have to like, that I dread and I have to force myself to do. And then I'm like horrible yeah. at, I think I could be a lot better, but I think I'm dangerous enough. Then. Yeah. I think that's a sweet spot anyway. That's where you want to be, where you like it enough to get past to a point where you can hand it off and still not be too sad about handing it off one day. Question. So you mentioned Ally being bought, Ally Financial being bought by Synchrony. Any other big news that we may have missed or give us an example of something big going on right now in the HVAC industry that we might want to hear about? Yeah, there's no, we can talk about this for a while. There's a number of things. Is it okay if I answer the question in like a, from a high level and not like a specific company deal or something like that? Yeah. So I think there's a handful of things. I think First of all, like to what we've been talking about, technology is a huge thing. Just everything from software providers like ServiceSite and Pazer of the world, just 
building out functionality to serve you guys in a number of different ways, whether it's ordering or integrating with your distributors and suppliers, helping you order through them, manage inventory, different ways in which you can connect with homeowners through text marketing campaigns instead of emails, things like that. So technology is a big story. I think the software side is just one part of it. And I think the other part is the equipment itself. People like homes are becoming connected. Systems are becoming smarter. There's this whole thing about addictive maintenance. How does that integrate with either a software system at the contract? Like, so there's a lot to be figured out. So technology is a huge story. And to be honest, that's one of the things I, I like covering the most because it's at the forefront, because it's at the cutting edge, because that's where I actually see a gap in the media news, like world in this context. So technology is a huge story to answer the first part of the question. Yeah, definitely. There's a ton of cool tech coming out too, which it's so exciting watching. It feels like the service industry has always been slightly behind just other industries for whatever reason. Plumbers, I guess, aren't at the forefront of technological advances, but we're starting to see it now, like even the IoT on plumbing devices and water loss in your house and all this kind of stuff just is really neat stuff. And that's just on the home side, but on the other side, there's crazy advances in the actual like HVAC units themselves, full inverters and all that. So it's going to be, it's a good spot to be in the next few years to be able to report on that. It's going to be fun. I'm a bit jealous. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a couple of things are happening. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And this is another big development. So they tie into each other, but I think the demographic in the industry, I think like it's getting younger. All the service industries are becoming more sophisticated. They're professionalizing. And there's this, I, I forgot the number I might not stop my head, but there's this huge transfer of small business wealth that's supposed to take place over the next 10 years or so. Yeah. The number's different every time I hear about it. Yeah. $10 trillion. Obviously not all of that is home services. That counts restaurants, barbershops, et cetera. There is a chunk of that is home services. That is HVAC and plumbing and roofing. And so I think the demographic's shifting and those people are more technologically savvy. I also think there's also almost a need for it now just because consumers on the other hand, and from a commercial standpoint, you'd say property managers, people that you interface with on the commercial side, like the expectations are changing. You know, like people, you and I, us three, like we go out and we go somewhere, we take an Uber. There's this experience where we can see the Uber. I get pissed. If sometimes the Uber will be like, it's one minute away, but then it won't show up for another eight minutes. But I can see that. And so I think consumers just have different expectations. And as a contractor, if you don't adapt to a lot of that, there's just, you, you risk a lot. I think there's reasons behind it. I've been in the industry my whole mm -hmm. life. I only had one other job. And it was at a ski resort and I was like a lift person. So I helped you get on the lift. Like I've been in the industry my whole life and I've lived through the change that a lot of people are going through. Like I remember when we call them floor savers, but booties became like a real thing. I remember that. Like now it's just like, oh yeah, of course. Like I remember rolling out that change in our business like a decade ago, <laughs> which I just think is funny. Google reviews becoming a thing. I think we've talked about that here, how legacy businesses seven years ago didn't have an online moat. They do now if they were able to sustain it. But there was this like moment where like newcomers could take down incumbent businesses. And then obviously Service Titan and everything that's followed. Yeah, it's been a wild like amount of innovation focused on the trades that has really shifted the landscape over the past five years. Right. One thing to add to that, I think, so there's a chart that we used to look at a couple of years ago and it was percentage of, and the data could be, again, it may change, it may be skewed or whatever. There was a chart, it was a pie graph and it was percentage of the overall contractor base that even has a software system. They literally still operate using pen and paper. I wonder how that is now. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting to know. I'm like rolling through my head. 
I haven't talked to one recently that doesn't. I, I talked to a lot of smaller contractors in this area and all of them are using one, but a lot of times what they're using is the bottom tier and they're not using it. They're using it for dispatch. Yeah, yeah it, it's the cheapest thing. Like I see a lot of smart service, which is like a really legacy software. Actually, we are talking to a company right now that doesn't have a software. We've been talking to them for two or three years, but I think that's the only <laughs> one. But what I will say is most of them, like just because a company has a software doesn't really mean anything. So what we consistently see is like they have a software that they use like 2% right. of. Mm-hmm. They use 10% of it, 2% of it, whatever it may be. And that actually, to give some perspective into the software world or into the, how they're thinking about it, that's a big reason for sure as the software companies. People yeah. will, like we would sign up contractors, we would get onboarded with them. And then they would just never use it. And then six months later, they call and be like, well, I got to cancel. It's like, well, why are you canceling? Well, I don't use it. What do you mean? What is that even supposed to be? Yeah, we talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago. We were talking about Home Service Engine. And it is kind of a crazy thought. And I always wonder, like, how many of these software companies have walked into a million or $2 million, like, plumbing shop? Because if you did, then you'd be like, yeah. No wonder they didn't deploy our software. Sure. (laughs) Like it's complicated. And like the person that's going to run that integration is probably the call taker who has a hundred other things to be doing and didn't sign up to integrate a software. So I think Service Titan, they don't even accept. I think they changed their rules for the minimum size contractor. Yeah. I think for exactly this reason, like you have to be big enough to deploy it to reduce churn. I've said it before and I will continue saying it. It is a ridiculous software. I understand why. <laughs> it's a lot. We've been on it for seven years now. This is our seventh year on this software, and we're still unlocking more and more all the time. It's crazy. We feel like we use a lot of it, but yeah, it's a lot to expect to these contractors to deploy. So I understand how it is, but all that to say, we deal with a bunch of contractors that are like we bought them in the past where, yes, I'm on Service Titan or what are the other ones? The House Call Pro. They're all on something, but like they still use paper invoices and they're not doing anything. So we've dealt with some where they're on service Titan purely for the schedule. And then they have paper invoices. They're not running credit cards through service Titan. Like they have a different processor. They're not running phones through there. They have a different thing. Yeah, it's kind of wild. So I wonder if that's more of the data of do they not have a software or are they still pen and paper? Because those are two different things where I have walked into plenty of companies that have software, but are still pen and paper. (laughs) It's just funny. Okay. All right. So we launched a media company. It's moving well. We don't know how monetization works is going to go yet. What do you think this thing looks like at the end of the year? Like total subs or team size or give me some goals. Next goals. Team size. I don't know. I'm still debating on on that because there's a couple different paths I could take. There's solo, completely a 100% bootstrapped, which is, has its pros and cons, slower growth, but you, you own other mm-hmm. thing, et cetera. Then the other path is get it to a certain point where I can build it to where there's enough evidence and validation for the market and quote unquote, to use a you know fancy tech term, product market fit of there's a need, there's a demand, they actually want it, people care about it, they're engaging with it. I've gotten you know X amount of feedback, X partners are interested, et cetera. And then I take that as almost like a business case. And then I go maybe raise a little bit of money to then go build a small team and work to build it profitably from there. I don't see this a lot of venture capitalists would never touch a media company. You know, they're looking for exponential return software type companies. And so I wouldn't even want to go down that route just because then you have so many hands in the pot and you have different people that have different motives and time warrant. Yeah, I don't know. So I just, I'm not really interested in that. I, I am intrigued by the idea of raising a little bit of money and then using that 
to build durably and, and profitably for the long term. Now, like what specific goals or numbers to your question do you need to do that? A couple of things. I think in the B2B space, I'm not going to get you know, the too many specifics, but like I'm saying a couple thousand email subs, having a good, strong engagement, which would be 50% plus email open rate and a really solid click rate is good evidence of like engagement, the open rate and click rate is. The number itself, if it can hover around even between one to 2,000 is, is good to me. But then also having inbound interest from say one, two, three, five partners, or potential advertising partners and data on like what they're saying, what are they looking for? What are they willing to pay so that I can gauge like what I think this could look like at scale. That's what the next six to eight-ish months look like for me. Yeah. What do you think at scale is? Yeah. So long-term to really what I'm looking to do over the super long-term is I imagine this being, it's a multi-revenue stream business. And really like right now, what I mean by that would be you'd have an advertising stream of revenue. So that would be companies like Pazer, ServerSite, and all the other ones we mentioned sponsoring newsletters. There's placements in there. They have native brand marketing sort of messages, links to different things, whatever that's advertising. And then it's... The media companies are positioned well to, to host events where I imagine there's opportunity. I've thought about it a little bit, but because I'm just focused on doing what I'm doing now, but like mm-hmm. that would mean high-end summits slash conferences where you bring in as executives and you have different panel sessions and you can sell tickets and sponsorships. So events is the second. And then the third that you could add in there would eventually be subscriptions. So that would be either contractors paying for some sort of data subscription so that they can see different things in their region for like, so you'd be able to look in your region and say, here's how much contractor X is paying their technicians. I don't know, just things like that. And then also supplier, an opportunity yeah. to sell data to suppliers. So it's really a long-term at scale, I think is a three-legged stool. It's you have an advertising business, an events business, and then a subscription business. And I'd like to have that stool in 10 to 15 home service industries horizontally aligned. All that stuff running in HVAC, plumbing, electrical, roofing, pest, landscaping, pool, et cetera. And, and that's what I think it looked like at scale. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, have you ever considered, so one of the monetization pathways that I love for media companies that I think is underutilized and not talked about very much, which I would absolutely love in this industry, would be a job board. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so you're in HVAC, you have 10,000 owners, right? Now you have a job board because a lot of times these are young guys that are in their 20s or 30s. They're looking to make a big jump, some big money. Man, that would be wonderful. One of them that we used to use in the wine industry was called winejobs.com. You don't go to Indeed for a winery job in Napa. You go to wine jobs. That would be cool to recreate that for HVAC or plumbing or whatever the vertical is. I don't know if that was a question. I just, something I, I love. Yeah, no, I think it's a great thought because I think, so I'm, I'm laughing in my head. So I was having a, one of the guys who, I come really close to the Pazer. He sort of advises me now and I'm a good friend of his. We got into an argument recently because he was saying the same thing and I was pushing back on it. First of all, right now, I'm not going to do that. You need a bigger group. But even just about the idea in general. And so I think like my thought on it is simply speaking, yes, it is a good idea. And it's a real model for media. Companies do it. They do it successfully. Like it works. And I agree with the thing I think that would be interesting to like think through this case. So with HVAC would be, I'm thinking out loud here. Is it a job board for hiring technicians? Is it a job board for executives to go to other companies and be an executive at another company or a, you know, P platform or something like that? I haven't really figured that out yet. That's up to you. Right. I agree. The way I was thinking about it, though, is that when I look at them, job boards, I find that they're highly successful with the lower tier jobs, like entry level, mid range, 
and then you can filter in some higher level. But the higher level ones, they tend to, I mean, John has a recruiter on staff. So if he's going for a high end job, he's using his recruiter to go out there and like headhunt versus techs. I mean, just put on a job board. I'd pay 15, 20 bucks to put on a job board and in the hopes that I could get somebody that was interested in moving to Nashville. They're a HVAC tech, skilled, six years in Oklahoma, I don't care, and then get here and they're working. That's how I view it. I think that when you go too high, the headhunters have that kind of taken over. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I always, I think of Peter Askew, do you guys follow him? The Onion, like VidaliaOnions.com yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Hey, he has a, what, what do they call that? A domainer? Where you like buy a domain and it'll just be like a random domain and then you build a business depending on whatever that domain was. So he happened to buy one called like Ranch Works or something like that. And he turned it into a job board for ranching jobs. And Can I we guess do it, this? I guess it's been successful. Yeah. Recruitment in the trades is interesting. See, the problem is in the trades, it's a problem that a lot of people are trying to solve and there's a dumb amount of money behind it. I don't think anybody was trying to solve that in ranch. Like nobody was like, yeah, let's go get a ranching job. But like a lot of people VC backed are attempting to solve like trade shortage problem because there's so much money to whoever saw like cracks the code. Like we get pitched it pretty often of, hey, we're a venture backed, whatever. Here's how we think we can drive new talent to your organization. So maybe it's we've got a school or we've got a training program or we figured out how to make trades sexy or like whatever it is, but we get to pitch a month on it basically. So there's a lot of money focused. So you'd have to get really niche, maybe like duck cleaners. I think you got to get really niche, like ranch workers is very specific right. that nobody else was trying to solve. No one's trying to solve septic drivers. That'd be a good one. Septic drivers. Everyone's trying to solve HVAC techs, like everybody. So if septicdrivers.com is available. Yeah, that'd be good. Poop taxi, pooptaxi.com. <laughs> All right, man, this was good. So we got introduced to launching a B2B newsletter, some monetization strategies, the three-legged stool how you see yours going. This was fun and genuinely love following along. For the listener, this isn't like a sponsored thing. Alec, he just has a good newsletter that's industry focused. So we liked that. And I encourage you to check it out. So if people want to check up on the newsletter or if they want to follow along with what you're doing, how can they find you and, and see what you're working on? Yeah, so the easiest is, so I have a simple landing page set up and it's just readhomepros.com. It's R-E-A-D-H-O-M-E-P-R-O-S.com. And it's just, Literally a landing page, you can pop your email in and then uh, you'll get the newsletter from there. Also, we're on LinkedIn. So you just type in home pros, little black logo, follow us there. Yeah, I had not even thought about LinkedIn for customer acquisition. I honestly try not to think about LinkedIn at all. I also try to avoid LinkedIn I at all costs. I really <laughs> try to avoid it at all costs, but it's just, I know it's a good driver. The thing that's for me, it's nice is it's so much easier than Twitter, for example, to filter people because the whole thing is whole yeah. profile is built around what's your job title and what company do you work at? For me, it's okay. Yeah. Contains yeah. X, title contains owner. Yeah. I've also heard it's ridiculously easy to become a LinkedIn, like influencer or whatever, because yeah, the content over there is literally so terrible that it's very easy to stand right. out. Whereas like Twitter, like you got some real players on Twitter, but LinkedIn is so miserable. <laughs> that it's not complicated to make good content on LinkedIn. I agree with you. One last thing before everyone goes, Septic Drivers is available, septicdrivers.com. So just keep it in yeah. mind. Tossing that out Tossing there. Tossing it out there. Free idea for everyone. Let's make a job board. 
Yeah, I think Peter's dropped financials for his ranch works. It's a small thing. I think for domainers, you have to be like, it's okay if it's like a $2,000 a month revenue business. And I think that's roughly what it is. But if all your whole job is just managing these little like cash flow websites, then yeah, I'm sure it'll continue to work. Sounds like fun. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on today, Alec. And thanks for telling us about the project you're working on. And everybody should check out the newsletter. Yeah, man. No, I, I appreciate you guys good, uh, being able to spend time. And I, yeah, I really appreciate it before doing, being in touch too. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Owned and Operated, the podcast for home service entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the like button and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at, at Wilson Companies. I'll see you next time.